Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious lolly Focus Pops or lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal of Politics podcast. I'm Emma Graney, and this is the We Just Spent Six Months in a Leaky Boat edition, mainly just because I really like that song, um, but also because of some fabulous leaks we've had this week, which have been oh so fun to watch. So with me today, we have Opinion Page Editor Sarah O'Donnell. Hi there. Health reporter Keith Durine. Hi. And making his debut on the podcast, say hello everybody to Dave Breckenridge, the... Uh, Deputy editor of the Sun and Journal, and guy who's quite funny. And well, he I don't likes know about beer. the last one. Welcome to the podcast, Dave. It's exciting to have you on. Be funny. Be funny right now. Yeah. <laughs> quick, quick, tell us a joke. Uh-oh. We promised we'd be nice guys. Come on. <laughs> okay, so today we're going to touch on all manner of uh, of some leaks, uh, including Tom Lukaszczyk's cell bill, which of course was started with a brown envelope that came across the desk of the Sun, Enron emails, and election finance reform, because that's super fun. Nothing to do with leaks, that just you know something fun actually let's start with that so for, for those of you who were not paying attention to the ethics committee meeting that was six hours long this week I know I listened to every word because I like to party the NDP put forward a motion and it was passed for a recommendation that political campaigns can get a 50% rebate for anything that they spend so I know Sarah you were following this what's, yeah. uh, what's happened okay so well so first of all it's this ethics committee is a special committee that the government put in place to look at four pieces of legislation. Elections legislation is one of the pieces. There's also the ethics rules and conflict of interest. In recent times, it seems like in their most recent readings, they have been dealing specifically with some of the election stuff. So the issue that has caused the biggest uproar, it seems like, is this issue about the proposal to have some taxpayer-funded subsidy for political parties and campaigns to reimburse them for election expenses. That's, am I kidding that right? (laughs) Yeah, you basically nailed it. Yeah, so it's getting a lot of pushback from the opposition and getting a lot of reaction. They have been doing other things as well, though, and I think this is important to think about and talk about as part of this bigger conversation. One of the other proposals that the committee has approved by the NDP majority is to put campaign spending limits in place, which is something that has been called for in Alberta for a very long time. Um, I can share my opinion on all of this in a little while. I can just stop there with the summary. I would love to hear your opinion on this, actually, Sarah. Well, I think that we had an editorial today. That the position of the Journal Editorial Board, which is basically a position that I stand behind right now, is that the campaign spending limits are a very good idea. I think that that helps put some ceilings on things and means that the candidates, yeah, like they've got some 
it doesn't have to be a super restrictive limit, but they're not just, they can't spend, the sky's the limit. Whoever raises the most money is automatically going to win because of TV buys or something like that. So I think if you're going to talk about any other changes to the election campaigns, you need that part in place. This other piece of it, this piece of having uh, money come back to political parties based on if they achieve a certain vote threshold or that kind of thing. I know that other jurisdictions in Canada do this. I know that the federal government does this. I'm not saying that it is a bad idea for all eternity, but I think that right now it's a bad idea for Alberta. Yeah, well, I I mean, there's two ways to look at this, right? Uh, The NDP has framed this as this is going to level the playing field. It's going to help the smaller political parties get a little bit more of a voice, a little bit more of a presence, right? If uh, they get some money from from the government to run their campaigns, they still have to get 10% of the vote in their riding to, to get the money. But I think it's also clear that this new system, if it does eventually get passed, uh, this does, uh, it's an advantage to the NDP. They have gamed the system for years that was gamed in favor of the PCs. They've gamed the system back in favor of the NDP because the campaign spending limit that they've put up, I think 70,000 and 80,000 in Northern Riding. That's right. There were not too many NDP campaigns in the last election that spent nearly that much. In fact, I can remember some campaigns that spent only $3,000 uh, in, <laughs> in Edmonton, right? Yes. It, it's rare to see an NDP uh, MLA or an NDP candidate spend that much. But now, if they get 50% of their costs back, they can spend that much. Yeah. Uh, is this an area where we actually agree, Dave? This may have been a, something where there was some, we have similar positions. I don't know. Um, as far as the campaign spending goes, I, I'm not sure exactly that it's the best idea to bring in right now and partly because especially with all of the the negative talk that the NDP have been getting this week related to the vote subsidies I I feel that it gets lumped in unfairly a spending cap isn't a bad thing but at the same time the idea that in an election the incumbent bears some kind of advantage especially as a government in the lead up to an election campaign can make all sorts of spending announcements that the opposition parties can't make to then turn around and limit the opposition's capacity to spend money on campaigning and on advertising in a campaign uh, would put the government at an advantage so i don't know if it's the best idea that the ndp could come up with that was actually one of the um, arguments that was made by the opposition they kind of said well if you're going to have a spending limit that unfairly impacts um, the person who wants to challenge the incumbent um, the ndp's argument for doing all of this is of course to even the playing field and making make it possible for everybody to come in and have a good old crack at politics yeah and i think that if they are serious and adamant about pushing forward the idea of having uh, a taxpayer fund to reimburse some of the portion of the cost, then you absolutely need those spending limits because otherwise, if there's no limit on campaign spending, then there's no limit on the hit to the treasury. And that, I think, would be a horrible mistake. And the Wild Rose have been pretty, uh, they've been very vocally opposed to this. They sent out a press release. Uh, It's been pointed out, though, by a number of people that, uh, of course, Wild Rose leader Brian Jean, running as a federal politician, they have rebate rules and he's gotten money back for his campaigns running mm-hmm. running federally. So it's a little hypocritical for the Wild Rose Party to then kick up a stink about it here in Alberta. Any thoughts on that? Well, I like some of the language they use. It sounded like it was quite a quite a meeting, Scott Sear, it going sure obscene was. and offensive and disingenuous. But, I mean, they're really focusing on the fact that... Um, you know, taxpayer money is going to go if this is passed to political parties. Uh, they think that's that's dead wrong on principle. Um, whether Brian Jean benefited from that under a federal system, you know, those haven't been the rules in Alberta. Uh, so that's what they're going to keep hammering with the public. I I don't know if 
if you know if he's part of the federal system and all of the parties are participating in this i don't think any of the parties have said no we're not going to participate in this federal system then i don't know if that translates but again right now in alberta with record deficits record debt i don't think that now is the time to be digging deeper into that and it, i to jump off that it's it's a terrible time to be dealing with that there are so many other things that they could be spending their summer doing and they seem to manage to keep digging themselves holes this is just another hole in a long run of holes this summer that they've managed to dig for themselves. Uh, a poor rollout on beer taxes, the PPA lawsuit, and now uh, campaign finance reform. I don't know what, what the need is to rush through this. It's not like uh, where they wanted to change the donation system, uh, who could donate to political parties. They made that change pretty quickly after they won the election. Right, which was a good call, getting yeah. rid of corporate and union donations yeah. in Alberta politics. Yeah, I think it was, made good sense. It was a really good call, but when you don't have to make those other changes now. And to the idea of giving tax dollars to political parties at a time when they say they have no money, they're racking up billions of dollars in deficits and billions in new debt. Why turn around and give political parties any money? This is the kind of thing that would make sense to definitely take back out to the public, right? The committee can pass these recommendations. It doesn't make them law, right? It still would have to then be created into legislation. Yeah. So if I was them, put these out there, th throw them out to the public, do some official consultation on it. I mean, there's nothing that matters more in a democracy than elections. So ask what Albertans think. It's funny you say that because one of the arguments uh, that was made during the committee meeting was we should have a referendum. And then the um, chief electoral officer said, that'll cost $23 million. <laughs> oh, and well. everyone went, well, that's a terrible idea. But we should have six months to chat with our constituents about this because this is completely out of the blue and no one knows anything about it. And we need to actually consult. That yeah, was one of the you can do a, less a far less expensive consultation. There's lots of ways to do that. Right? Dave doesn't like consultation. Well, no, consultation <laughs> is Twitter, a good thing. Well, I mean, this is, the, this is another example of where the NDP has kind of stepped out in front of something without really getting the pulse of the province, and it's kind of blown up in their face a little bit. If you look back uh, all the way to last year, you have Bill 6, where they didn't consult where they before they went ahead with the legislation. Um, this is just another example of them trying to make change that turns out to be unpopular, and then they have to backpedal and try and find a way out of it. There's something to, said, be, to be said for being like decisive and taking action. I mean, in a way, I admire that. But at the same time, like I said, this is about our election system doesn't hurt to ask a few questions. Well, one of the bigger one of, this is part of a bigger suite of changes they are trying to make in terms of election financing and one thing they do want to bring in is you guys wait for this segue it's brilliant um, is to do with funding of leadership races for parties. So we did have a leadership race, a former leadership race, the PC leadership race has come back into the news this week. Mm, Hasn't it, Keith? That was quite the segue. Very that impressive. Was, I'm impressed. Thank you. I like Thank how you, you get You guys can, the you dots. can applaud me at home. It's dots, fine. dots, dots, dots. Right. All connected. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll give a little history lesson here. This uh, involves uh, Tom, Thomas Lukasik, who always seems to be in the news one way or the other, good or bad, uh, even when he's out of office. So... Um, back in 2012, uh, Thomas Lukasik was the deputy premier. He took a little trip to Poland and Israel. And at some point, he received a call from a fellow cabinet minister who seemed to be in some kind of imminent danger. And so he dealt with that cabinet, cabinet minister over the phone over a number of hours or even a day or so uh, and racked up this very large cell phone bill uh, that wound up being about $20,000. 
he got back. The government saw this cell phone bill and said uh, it's a little high. They tried to reduce it but couldn't, and the cell phone bill got shelved uh, with executive counsel. Uh, you fast forward a year or so later, Thomas Sukazic is now running to be the PC leader because Alison Redford has stepped down. And the bill gets dredged up and leaked to the media, to the Edmonton Sun, uh, and clearly in an attempt to kind of smear Lukasik and prevent him from winning, which he really had little chance of doing anyway. But uh, there was an investigation into that. The Office of the Information and Privacy Commissioner uh, looked at um, the circumstances surrounding that leak and came out with a report. And, and found a few interesting things, uh, and, and it, it did uh, did conclude that the leak had originated from executive council. There's a long list of names of people who were on executive council at that point, but she chastised the the, the council and the council office for uh, not protecting the information properly. Yeah, privacy breach. So this has more to it, though, doesn't it? Oh, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it always does in politics, doesn't it, doesn't it? Now, this was before my time in Alberta, a couple of years before my time I guess um are there any political implications from this is there going to be any fallout from any from this at all it's hard to really wonder where there's going to be fallout because the the party who is in power at the time is no longer in power and they seem to be in a little bit of a shambles and you have a leadership race coming up and you know it's in some ways it's just kind of um trading in gossip now to a certain degree is that oh yeah Alison Redford and the premier's office yeah you know if you crossed her you'd get in trouble and there's that kind of implication that's that's there yeah our, our colleague Gisel Graham Thompson wrote about this in his column and he lo- looked at some of the issues and and he concluded in his column that it and I think it's a good conclusion that it still is kind of an unsolved mystery because what the report doesn't do is outline no connecting of the dots of how the document got from the premier's office or from the executive council apparently it had been requested by the premier's chief of staff at the time and how that then ended up in someone else's hands or or how it eventually ended up months later after it was requested on the desk of uh, then sun reporter matt dykstra yeah and and, i mean that that to me was one of the more interesting aspects of the report right she says in her report that she she wasn't looking for the source of the leak that was not the main intention but there's some details in the report that sort of suggest how it may have happened and you're and you're right, the, the revelation was there that uh, it was requested by Redford's uh, chief of staff, the executive assistant to that chief of staff, Farouk Adadia, uh, in March before Redford had left office and at a time when Redford and Lukasik were at odds. So it sort of gives you an idea of the culture, of the, of the infighting that was going on at that time within that party. So, and it's unclear whether they've resolved a lot of those internal issues. And the premier mm, stepped right. down five days after this document was requested. That's right. And then there's the mystery of how that document then, as you say, passed to somebody else who eventually leaked it to the Sun. Now, there were accusations at the time that Manmeet Buller, uh, who's a cabinet minister who was uh, uh, a key part of Prentice's campaign, Jim Prentice's campaign against Lukasik, he may have been the source of the leak. And those were allegations that he denied. He denied those allegations. Um, and of course, we can't ask him now because he was killed uh, last November in, in a car accident. Um, but... Uh, when I asked Lukasik about this, about Buller's role, about um, whether he, because Lukasik has always maintained that he wants the entire truth to come out. He wants the Alberta public to know what happened. I asked him if that desire has been tempered a little bit because of Buller's death. And he wouldn't name Buller by name, but he did say 
Um, you, you took a long time to answer the question. And you basically said, yeah, to some degree that changes things. And I don't, uh, I don't want, I don't want to go any further down this road. And, th- and that was kind of telling to me that, uh, this is an issue he's now willing to, uh, to let rest. He feels partially vindicated by it, but he's not going to throw anybody under the bus at this point. And, I think that's uh, calculating politically because he has not ruled out a run for the PC leadership. He has said that, and he said that again to Graham Thompson, that he would consider possibly, not thinking of it at this time, but would consider possibly running for the leadership of that party again. Yeah, I don't think his time in politics is, is over, so I definitely think he'd like to get back in, back in the game. Uh, one thing that I was wondering is, like, will this change this privacy ruling like that this leak is considered to be a privacy breach i wonder if that's going to change the political game at all i mean if you know that if you leak a document that is some from government is part of your political strategy that you could eventually be kind of have the privacy commissioner looking at your actions i was wondering if that'll change strategy or dirty tricks or things like that in politics i don't know the uh the privacy commissioner's office said yeah tut tut shouldn't have done it but uh, legally there's nothing they can do. I mean, there's that's no charges true. coming out of this, right? So if you're just like, that's naughty, put that cookie back. Like, that doesn't stop a child from getting a cookie, right? Because isn't Because that, this is where I don't <laughs> quite that understand. I mean, this is public information, it. right? That this mm-hmm. this cell phone bill would have been public information. It was. It could have been requested. Couldn't it have been by the public? Uh, yeah, yeah well, that was that was the what had come out in the reporting that Matt had done for the Sun at the time was the allegation that. Uh, Mammy Bullard was going around to people and saying, you should FOIP Lukasik's cell phone bill. There's some good stuff there. He wouldn't say what it was. It was the allegation was that he was kind of trying to shop it around at the opposition at the time to say, you guys should look into that because there's something there. So this is my own ignorance of privacy law then, because I just don't quite understand then that if it is a public document, then how was it considered a privacy breach? Because yep. of the details on the public document. So names, addresses, phone oh. numbers, stuff like that. Yeah, oh, maybe yeah, stuff yeah. would have been blacked exactly. out if it had yeah. been FOIA? That's right. It was released in a very careless way, she said. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lesson, kids. If you're going to leak documents, and we love it when you do, <laughs> make sure you take your Sharpie there and just black out any personal information or yeah. you'll be wrapped over the knuckles by the Privacy Commissioner. It's a good, le- good public service announcement. I'm, I'm here to help. You know, I'm here to serve. <laughs> okay, so now we'll, let's move on to another... Well, it was kind of a leak, and then it turned into, well, let's just make sure everyone has the same documents about Enron emails this week. I was lucky enough to be working over the weekend when uh, some lucky. emails... Oh, super lucky, you guys. Um, some emails came across my desk, and I contacted uh, government about them. And it was basically internal Enron emails. They were quite amusing to read, I'm not going to lie. And then it's come out that there are a lot of emails floating around that somehow are tying Enron closer and closer to this clause that the government is launching a lawsuit over. Who wants to talk about this exciting piece oh of Oh boy, this was is? this is like the part of the podcast I was most dreading. I, feel I know. Like every week it's so fraught with peril. It really is. Electricity, Okay. Electricity, you have the power, remember? I don't know, Dave's a pretty electric personality. Does he want to? <laughs> I mean, for me, what's been most interesting about the whole PPA story is that how no one can seem to get their stories straight through this whole thing. 
the NDP announces this lawsuit saying we didn't know about this clause and then it comes out that they knew about the clause and that it's going to cost Albertans $2 billion, but no, it's only going to cost Albertans $600 million. And then, the you know, it's back and forth with the emails, who knew what, when, uh, and is this a secret clause, is it not a secret clause? And it's just, I think it's shown a lack of clarity on the government's part. I think it's shown the Tories to be, kind of have a shady background, and, and in terms of energy deregulation, I don't think that they necessarily, uh, they didn't necessarily have Albertans' interests at heart either, but... It, it's, I don't think it's rolled out the way the government wanted it to roll out with them looking like knights riding in on a white steed to save us from power companies. It's just shown it's been amateurish in the way that they've gone about it, but the opposition at the same time hasn't exactly looked all that stellar on it. And so that, you know, that's been my, my take on it is just it's an odd summertime story that no one really saw coming, and the government has kind of failed to live up to the expectation that they tried to set out for us. Yeah, no one's winning in this. No. I think you're absolutely right. So confusing. Right. And that's it, right? It's just so confusing. And and you're so the reading those emails in your story, the details in those emails from Enron executives to uh government officials at the time are very interesting. They're a snapshot though, and because as you said, it's not like they've they've come in a leak. I don't feel like we're seeing the full picture from anybody, right? We're kind of seeing little portions, but I think that what we're really going to need to see is the documents that are filed in the lawsuit, right? Like when all everything that is relevant has to be entered into evidence, then I feel like we'll see a complete picture. I feel right now people are being very selective in what they're showing uh, to reporters and the public. Yeah, well, and I, I was reading the story that, that Emma, that you did on this and, and, and the emails and uh, you know, there's a little smoke there. I don't necessarily see a big raging inferno that the the NDP hopes that there is. Uh, and and Sarah's right. We'll have to see the full uh, court documents to kind of get a full picture of what their what their arguments are going to be. But this is a really difficult hole. I think Dave, you were talking about the holes that the the NDP had kind of dug for itself. This is a really deep one that they've dug for themselves because they have to do two things, right? They have to actually win the case, which on the surface seems like it's going to be really difficult and it's going to take years and mountains of legal fees to do. But they also have to sell this to the Alberta public. And that's the sort of the more immediate need. And I just think the average person sitting at home, hey, even in the newsroom, average person sitting there trying to make sense of this, uh, you know, because, you know, all this stuff of what maybe happened 16 years ago, what the PCs may have done, maybe it was a secret clause, maybe it wasn't secret. Uh, that kind of stuff is going to get lost in the ether. And the real issue is going to be more around whether this actually is a good thing for Alberta that they're that power companies are allowed to kind of unload their unprofitable agreements onto the balancing pool onto onto taxpayers or less profitable right and the NDP needs to <laughs> kind of stick to that right not this idea of what happened 16 years ago that it may have been secret but that this actually this clause is actually a bad thing um, and I don't know that they're winning that argument. Well, right and now. with that report that came out from the economist Andrew Leach from the U of A and uh, Trevor Tulum at U of C. Am I saying his name right? No, it's not Tulum. Tulum. Trevor Thank Tulum. you. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Trevor. With those, re with that analysis from them saying that you know this two billion dollar figure, we don't think it's going to be two billion dollars. Like their analysis, looking at power prices, is that it might be more than more like $600 million, like Dave said. I mean, that makes a difference. And then there's been some analysis that that makes a huge difference in terms of whether Albertans would end up getting stuck with the tab on their power bill if these companies were allowed to dump their power purchase arrangements. So nothing is 
in some ways so that in some ways there's some clarity there but in some ways it just makes things more complicated and let's face it and keith may you make a good point it's the middle of summer right now i mean yeah. frankly most people are lying on a lake drinking a couple of beers you know soaking in the last rays of sunshine before they can do they hopefully even using very little electricity with our long days well exactly and hopefully with sunscreen on because it's very important yes now, another sleep. public announcement <laughs> you guys they will care though when they get home and find that <laughs> if their power bill has gone up significantly they will You're care right. at that point they yeah. will and i think perhaps uh maybe that's where the ndp really need to be focusing their energies on this it, just keeping it relevant to people and why people should actually care about what's when happening does session get thing. back in or when do it's they late october, october 31st yeah. i s- I guess we'll see Halloween what happens, finish. but I still feel like this is going to be an early question and question period. It'll probably be one. It depends what happens over the next couple of months. It'll probably be one of the first ones that uh, Brian Jean gets up to ask. But it, you talk about making relevant to Albertans. I was reading this morning that the average cost bills over the next few months is uh, only a, a couple bucks a month. Um, while no one wants to pay more for electricity or gas or um, a cup of coffee or anything like that. It's hard. It may be hard for the NDP to sell how badly we're going to get gouged by power companies, even though, you know, everyone has a story of how badly they've been gouged by a utility at some point in their lives. Right. But you also have to factor in that the carbon tax is coming in. So that's going to gouge things even further. But who's responsible for the carbon tax? Well, I know I agree. But now (laughs) they're getting worried that people are actually going to get dinged and notice it significantly. Right. And so I, I do wonder if there is a fear there about that. Yeah. I hadn't thought about that, Keith. Uh, you're welcome. <laughs> I see story ideas <laughs> flying around in the news. They're pinging off the windows. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so, and, and just briefly, Brian Jean, I don't know if you guys saw this press release that just came out. Brian Jean has unveiled his, I'm going to call it the Jean Mobile. I think I need a better name though. It's basically an RV mm-hmm. that uh, we're, on, we're on your side uh, that he's touring around the province in right now. Yeah. And it's got him on the side of it. And I just, I just want you out there, Alberta, keep your eyes peeled. And if you see it, I suppose give them a big old wave. It's a very, it's a, that's a very election thing to do, right? It is such an election thing to do. Well, it's also a shot at Jason Kenney. My vehicle's bigger than your vehicle, right? <laughs> 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 and I've got a wrap, <laughs> and you don't. <laughs> There's so. a picture of me on the side of this. Yeah. And I where's guess, he going? Does he's going all around. The, he's he's kind of touring the province as well right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's uh, much like Jason Kenny. They're kind of you know crossing paths across the province, trying to you know beat up some local support and get some local people to sign up. And I have to say that considering the spring that Brian Jean has had and what's gone on in Fort McMurray and his constituency, I am impressed that he is taking the time to you know go visit other corners right it would be very easy to just stay right up there in fort mcmurray right now and focus on that and uh well i think he sees jason kenny in his <laughs> rearview mirror and thinks if i don't get my act together and get out in front of albertans i if he can't afford to stay in his constituency right now i think that he'd probably like to after the spring and summer that he had with yeah. the fire in fort mcmurray to spend more time up there but i don't think that's a luxury that he has right now he just probably. got married too so I'm sure he would like to spend some more time yeah. at home, but uh, there you have it. The NDP have actually been sending out a lot more press releases lately uh, regarding Jason Kenney. I don't know if that's a new thing on their radar. They've sent out a few of them. And then this yesterday also asked the Chief Electoral Officer to look into Jason Kenney's fundraising for his leadership campaign. There are currently no, no rules around it. They want him to look into it. And he went, nah, there are no rules, yo. And that's part of you the know, changes a, they're making. I hear there's a special committee on ethics and elections that uh, might want to look at putting some rules in place. 
advice around that for future. Well, so the NDP wants Elections Alberta to look into his spending and his fundraising. And so another uh, reporter in Alberta, Carrie Tate with Globe and Mail, tweets today that the she asked the elect, chief electoral officer and was basically said he's not doing anything wrong. So was their ask uh, seriously to have them look or to just raise the specter of wrongdoing? And you think that the NDP would know that there's not necessarily any rules. They would have an understanding of how uh, leadership campaigns work. And that until the actual declared date of the leadership race starts, there are no rules. They might know that. And what would get more attention? Saying we need to look at the leadership rules in Alberta? Or I think Jason Kenney might be doing something illegal. Elections, Act, Elections Alberta, you should look into that. What's going to get more people's attention and it just seems in some ways to be a drive-by smear on uh on jason kenny and it does indicate there might be some serious concern about the the kind of machine that jason kenny can bring to bear on on politics Mm -hmm. in alberta i think you're probably right there so with that let's go to good stuff from the gallery Keith, you got anything this week? I do. Uh, it's a article in Mary Claire uh, magazine, which I don't normally read, but I saw a tweet about it. <laughs> so, <laughs> you don't have to justify you, your no, subscription. No, don't uh, feel like no, you have to. Uh, we all need to know what's going on in the fashion world, Keith. Okay, it's We fun. do, we do. So this is a, an article called My Crazy Year with Donald Trump. It's written by Katie Turr, uh, who's a... Uh, a reporter for uh, NBC and just describes her her life on the road brings back memories for me of my four weeks covering the Wild Rose in 2012. <laughs> but uh, as you can imagine, a whole year of that kind of living out of a suitcase from uh, small town to small town. But also describes her run-ins with Donald Trump himself, uh, especially when he called her out during a press conference and kind of turned his angry mob on her at one point. So it was uh, it's a very interesting read. That sounds fascinating. Sarah? That sounds good. Well, mine is not from Marie Claire. Um, it's very earnest, I suppose. I'm going to recommend that people check out this uh, tool that the Organization for Economic Development and Cooperation has put out about how rich or poor are you uh, compared to people in your country and in perspective in the world. I read about it in the Taiyi. They did a little blurb on it. and That's super uh, cool. Yeah, and so basically you put in your information about, you know, how much your household makes and, like, the size of your household, and then it gives you the information about, like, where you stand in relation to, kind of, other people in Canada. Or, and then you also get to compare it because it asks you what your information is, and then it says, how do you think you stack up compared to other people so then it kind of gives you a reality check as well so it's like you thought that you were at this point in the spectrum income spectrum actually you're over here or down there depending so I just thought it was kind of, it was a neat tool and the whole point is to look at issues of income disparity and uh, give some information and background on that so I'll share the links to the tie blurb and then also the uh, data what thing what would what would you call that to the data tool itself to on the, the website. The link to the yeah, tool? just the link. I'll give you the link. Give us the link, <laughs> and then you can link to it. Uh, I read a super cool book this week, and I think this will appeal to most of us in a in a newspaper. It's called Word Nerd: Dispatches from the Games Grammar and Geek Underground. It's written by John Williams Jr., who is the former president of the National Scrabble Association in the states. Ooh. Yeah, it's a real. It's quite short. It's a great little memoir about. Uh, Scrabble, some of the tournaments and some of the goings on behind the scenes uh, with the National Scrabble Association. It's it's a really fun read. Cutthroat mm. Scrabble. Yes, exactly. I like it. All right. My, uh, what's it called? Good Reads from the Gallery? Good Stuff, Good from, stuff the from the Gallery. Yes. Uh, mine this week is actually showed up in my Facebook feed yesterday 
uh, from a colleague, uh, former colleague of mine at the Calgary Sun. It's a piece in Esquire by novelist Don Winslow. It's called El Chapo and the Secret History of the Heroin Crisis. Uh, it kind of looks at uh, the legalization of marijuana and the unintended consequence that that has had in Mexico, uh, where the business model for the cartels kind of got undercut. And so they started looking at heroin and fentanyl as a way to make up that lost income through uh, from marijuana. And it's quite a harrowing read. It's really uh, detailed. Uh, Winslow really knows his stuff on it, and it's a kind of a fascinating look at a side of the drug war that you may not uh, have previously thought about. Fascinating Sounds reads all good. round. Nice one, guys. We're on our game this week. All right. Well, that's well, it. You guys were. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all are. It's, it's fine. Um, so that's it from uh, the press gallery this week. So if you like this episode, uh, even if you didn't, you can go and check out if you like some of the other ones because they're all up on edmontonjournal.com. Uh, you can also get them through the Edmonton Journal SoundCloud feed. Uh, the show is also available on iTunes and TuneIn Radio. So thank you guys so much for being here this week. I appreciate you coming along and we'll see you next week in the press gallery.